appreciate it, if we have any. Are you it? I'm here. Come on, Danny, come up here. Sit down right here and sit down right there and, and, and face me. Look at me, because I'm going to be... I'm going to be talking to you. All right, you guys, come on. Come on up here. We had a much bigger kid than you last service. So um, so this morning, one of the things that I want to talk to you guys about is, is comparing things. Comparing things. Do you guys know what it means to compare something? Huh? Does anybody know what it means to compare something? Heaven! It really sounds like a squirrel, but it must be Jesus, right? That's kind of one of those... Yes! All right, okay. Um, We're talking in the sermon, you know, the adults, we're going to be talking about the incomparable, incomparable greatness of God. That means that that nothing compares to Him. And and I want to know if you guys know what it means to to compare something. When you compare two things, what do you do? Can somebody tell me? No. Can you tell me? You know, you you were here first service. You know exactly what. What does it mean to compare? Look at the likes and differences of things. Thank you. Um, yeah, to look at things and, and, and to compare them. So um, I want you guys to help me compare a few objects, okay? Um, if, let's say, I were, were in the market for a ring to give my wife for her birthday, okay? Um, well, let's say it's for our anniversary. It's going to be 21 years in December. That's a really long time, by the way. Um, and I want to buy her a ring. So you guys are going to help me compare two rings and decide which one you think I should get her. The first choice is this right, this ring right here. Okay? Okay. Do you, what do you think about this ring right here? What color? What color is it? White. It's or silver. Yeah. It's. It's, it's, it's round. It, it would fit on a really, really big finger, right? It's a ring. It's a ring. It's a ring. Okay. The other, other thing that I have to choose from is this one right here. Look at the size of that thing. Okay, if I were going to buy my wife a ring, and, and let's say these were both actually real rings, which one would you suggest I buy? This one? Or this one? Yeah, this one, right? If this one was smaller, you would get this one. Is honestly, honestly, if if you think of if you think of value, is there any comparison between these two things? If they were both real, not even close, huh? I would be shocked if I considered this over this, wouldn't I? All right. Um, let's say that we want to drive to California, or we're going we're gonna to travel to California, and we're trying to choose out of two different modes of transportation, okay? The first choice that we have is right here up on the screen. Look at that. What is that? Skateboard. Skateboard. Yeah, that would be pretty fun. I would probably break my ankle on it, but um, that's our first choice for transportation to California. Okay, our second choice is this right here. Which would you guys choose? Yes! Why would, you, why would you choose the airplane? Very good, Garrett. Yes, it would, it would be a lot faster. Garrett said the same thing back there. It would be faster. It would be more comfortable. You would have air conditioning through, you know, Nevada and, and the really hot states, that sort of thing. Um, there's probably somebody on there that would serve you lunch. 
Um, maybe. It would probably only take about an hour or less to get to California from here in a Learjet. But um, really no comparison, is there? I mean, the skateboard isn't even close to being as cool as that right there, right? Okay, let's say, let's say one last thing. Let's say that we are a knight in shining armor and we need to protect the castle, okay? Um, would you choose this? Okay, as, as what you would protect the castle, or would you choose this? Yes, this. Now, really? Are, do, these, do, these have, do these have anything, is there anything here that's even, are they even alike each other? Well, not really. I mean, this one's not... Ah, no, just kidding. This is not sharp. It's just... It's kind of sharp on the end. You could cut butter with both of these. Okay. But that's about where the comparisons... In, the, the similarities end, right? Right. We would choose this. Okay, now, what we're going to be talking about in church here in just a few minutes is how big and how great our God is. Okay. Um, our God is, there isn't anything in our world that compares to him. Nothing. Nothing that he created comes even close, and we're going to see that. Um, and, and you know what? Sometimes when we think of how big something is, it makes us kind of feel little. And, and here's what I want you guys to know. Um, that it doesn't matter how big God is. Really big. He loves you, Danny. God loves you. And, and Jesus came to, to die in your place for your sin. He did that for us. And he's living in our hearts. That's right. He lives in our life. Here, listen to this. There was a time when Jesus was on the earth that, that some parents brought their kids to see Jesus. And, and they were really busy. You know, they were going around ministering to people and the disciples were kind of, you know, working on things. And all these parents brought all of their kids. It, it could have been a group this size. It, it could have been 50 kids. I don't know how many kids it was. We're not told that. But, but the disciples said, no, no, Jesus is too busy. He's too important for, for, to be bothered with these children. Right? He says that in Matthew 19, the disciples, then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. Parents wanted Jesus to pray for their children. But the disciples rebuked, um, yelled at those who brought them and said, we don't want your kids here. Jesus doesn't want to see your kids. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Don't keep them from coming to me, Jesus said. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had taken his time and he had placed his hands on them, he then went on from there. So you know what? Even though God is great and there's no comparing anything to him, he cares about each and every one of you and he will take time for each of you. He loves you very, very much. And we all need to remember that message, right? Okay, Jesus loves you. All right, you guys, you can go sit back down. Thank you. All right, wasn't last Sunday great? Uh, the food was awesome. The baptism was amazing. Um, it, and it's, it's so exciting to me to see people whose lives are being changed by God get in that water uh, and, and symbolize what happens at salvation, to symbolize what Jesus did for us on the cross. He was crucified. 
He was buried, and then He rose again, conquering sin and death for us. And, and when we are baptized, we're laid down in the water, representing as a symbol us being dead to our sin and, and Christ purifying us and cleansing us and us being raised again. It's, it's a symbol. And, and as I thought about that symbol, I mentioned it last week, and I, I want to mention again this morning for those that weren't there, um, this wedding ring that I have is a symbol of the fact that I am married to my wife, that, that I have committed my life to her. If I take it off, it doesn't mean I'm not married, um, but it is a symbol to the world around me that I am married. And my wife and I stood on this very stage, probably about right here, almost 21 years ago, and we said, um, you know, we said our vows through... through um, I didn't have them memorized even then, but... Um, how does that go? <laughs> for better, for worse. For richer, for poor. In sickness and in health. And there's times when it seems like there's a whole lot more sickness than there is health. We said, we stood here and we both said, I do. I commit my life to you. And here's my ring as a symbol of that. Now, as I said last week, did we have any idea what that actually entailed when we were standing here on this stage? No, we did not. What we did know was we were committing our lives to each other. We didn't know what a big process it was going to be and how difficult it was going to be at, at times and, and how we were going to have to humble ourselves before each other and, and, and say, I'm sorry, and will you forgive me, and all of those things. So, so we went from you know, being happily married at the end of the aisle after the wedding ceremony, right, to today, almost 21 years, where I can honestly tell you I have never been happier to be married to this woman on the front row. Um... It hasn't been all fun. But, but we are in a place right now as a married couple that is just a blessing. And, and what I want us to hear this morning as we start off the message is, you know what, marriage is a process. We didn't go from saying I do to the place we are at right now in a week. We didn't go there in a year. We've gone here in 21 years. And, and there were times where it was pretty tough. But it was a process. And God saw us through that. And in your relationship with God, in your relationship with Jesus Christ, it's a process. You're going to have failures. You're going to have ups. You're going to have downs. There are going to be times when, when, when you doubt. But, but you know what? God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's the truth. That is the truth. And, and we need to recognize that sometimes when our neighbors fail, we need to have some grace, the same kind of grace that Jesus has for you and for me. And that when our kids fail, and then when, when we fail, we need to recognize that God is gracious. God is loving. And, and He's working with us and through us to form us and fashion us into what He wants us to be. And, and what we're going to hear this morning is, is a big part of that. Now, when I do a wedding, I stand up here with the couple, and somewhere in the message when I'm talking to them, I tell them this. You need to be aware that there is a spiritual battle going on around you. Um, and it is real. We don't see it. 
we don't oftentimes recognize that it's there to probably to, to our detriment. But there is a spiritual battle going on around us in a realm that we cannot see. And, and Satan, the Bible says, is out to kill and destroy. And he will lie, he will cheat, he will connive, he will do whatever he can to accomplish that. Because he doesn't like to see people saved. He doesn't like to see people's families happy. He, he doesn't like that. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 this, Who is our struggle against? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. My struggle is not against my wife. My struggle is not with my children. That's not where the big conflict and the big battle is raging. It is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It is a real battle, and it's going on right now. If your mind is wandering, maybe that's a part of the battle. But it goes on, and it's going on right now. It's a battle we don't see. It affects us every day. So what can we do? Paul says, he continues in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, and it's against the rulers and the authorities and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. First thing he mentions when it comes to the armor of God is the belt of truth. Now, we all know what happens if we somehow get out of the house in the morning without a belt if we're used to wearing one, right? We end up doing this a lot during the day. And for some of us, maybe, you know, you're somebody that's been losing some weight and you've lost a little bit and your pants are a little bit baggier and you're not paying attention and you bend over to pick something up. I mean, we have a saying for that, right? You don't want to get caught with your pants down, right? In a vulnerable position. So you need to wear a belt. Paul is saying, look, there's this spiritual battle going on and spiritually, we don't want to get caught with our pants down. And he says the first piece of this armor that you need to put on is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is truth. I want to arm you with some truth of your God. So that when hard things come, or as you are in the midst of hard things, you can reflect back on this knowledge, this truth that God gives us. You know, these married couples, I take them through pre-marriage counseling. Well, why do I do that? So that they can have a foundation, so that they can have some tools in, in their conflict toolbox, so that when the, the seas get rough, they have something that can help them get through those seas. So that it's not just like, oh, well, you know, whatever. We'll just deal with whatever when we get to it. You know, hope we have the right stuff. No. We need to be prepared and we need to have that foundation. And that's what Paul is saying to us. And this truth that Paul is talking about, at least a part of this truth, it's, it's head knowledge that helps us get through those times when Satan, the one who wants to kill and destroy, is lying to us and telling us that we're this way or that that person said that about us that it's not necessarily true. And, and, and we're starting to believe the lie and not the reality. 
So the truth that we're going to see today is the reality, and it's found in Isaiah chapter 40. So if you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Now, as someone who, who for a period of time has gone through some really dark, heavy, um, hurtful things in my life, I can tell you that, that if you are in the midst of that and, and you hear somebody give this, this, this kind of message, um, you, you might want to say, well, you know, that's easy for you to say, Pastor Dave, you don't understand how hard it can be. And, and honestly, if, if I had not felt hard things in my life, um, I could see where this message could possibly be disingenuous. But what we need to understand about Isaiah chapter 40 is it comes after 39 chapters of consequence and pain for the nation of Israel. It's been hard for them. And, and now we enter 40 where God begins to uh, comfort and restore His people. Uh, let's look at verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. We looked at that last week. Who is that referring to? John the Baptist. And why do we know that that's referring to John the Baptist 700 years before he showed up on the scene? It says it in Matthew, right? It says this was spoken about John the Baptist. We know that that's why uh, that that prophesies John the Baptist coming. He continues, Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. You are going to be restored, Israel. We are going to be restored. We are going to come through this difficult time. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it. Speaking of Jesus Christ coming, our Savior, the Messiah. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The, the grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. The word of our God stands forever. So you who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. And as much as I can, without yelling too much, I want to lift up the name of our Lord here this morning as we look at our incomparably great God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and His arm rules for Him. See, His reward is with Him and His recompense accompanies Him. He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arm and carries them close to His heart. He gently leads those that have young. It is coming. Isaiah says, salvation is coming. And we can look back and say, salvation has come. Salvation has come. One will come proclaiming it. Then the one will come that will make it happen the way of the Lord, and it has. And now we proclaim this good news. Here is your God. 
The Lord says through Isaiah, get up on the mountain and yell it out. Lift your voice. Let people know that the hard times are done and and you need to know how great your God is. And he gives us this introduction in in verses 10 and 11. And I'm just going to skip over the the introduction for for time's sake and and dig right into the main part of the passage. So we're going to start in verse 12 of, of Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to look at God's power over us. God is incomparable in His power over us. Nothing matches His greatness. Nothing. Who, in verse 12, God says, has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand or with the breadth of His hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? So the first candidate of attempting to match the greatness of God is nature. Compared, God is incomparably great compared to nature. You know, we think nature is pretty big. There are people that worship nature in our culture. But nature is incomparable to God. He asked five questions. Who of creation can do any of these things? The the answer, of course, is no one. God can hold the waters of the earth in the palm of His hand. And I don't know if if maybe He doesn't have have room in the palm of His hand for a hundred earths worth of water. But think about the vast oceans. You've stood on the edge. Maybe you've stood on the side of Lake Michigan or one of the Great Lakes and you can't even see to the other side how incredibly big that is. Yet, God holds all of the water of our planet in the palm of His hand. God holds His hand up and He can measure the universe with the width of it. The universe! That's big. Our God is great. The dust of the earth, it says, can be put in a basket he's holding. And, and here in Wyoming, we'd like him to put all of our dust in a basket, right? And take it far, far away. But, but think about that. God can carry, God can hold a basket in his hand with all of the dirt of our planet in it. And then he says this, God can measure the weight of, Of the mountains, he can he can he can weigh the mountains on a set of scales. He can put a mountain he can put a mountain on a scale just like we can put a sack of grain on a scale. God can take a balance. You know, a balance is one of those things that you hold and it has the two things on either side, and you put something on one side and then you put weight on the other to bring it up. That's what a balance is. God can put the hills on a balance and measure them. How great is our God? great as they come. There is no one greater. Incomparably great. Nothing in our realm of life could even come close. So we need not be afraid of the power pretenders of our day. Those who would say this is great or this is great. Who would try to control us or manipulate us with those things. Satan trying to lie to us and saying that God is really pretty weak in how he deals with people or or he can't really do that for you or that he wouldn't really do that for you. It's not true. God is incomparable to nature. Let's put those words on the belt of truth that we put on. Let's remember those things. Verse 13 goes on. Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? And the answer to that is 
No one. No one. God's power over us is incomparable compared to our wisdom. There's five more questions here. And the answer to all of them, of course, is no one. Our super fast computers. The smartest minds on our planet. I was at the University of Wyoming yesterday walking around all of the college buildings with my son. And, uh, wow, it's changed in 20 years. Man, there's buildings, places, and you can't drive places you used to be able to. It's it's beautiful campus. But 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 on the outside of Prexy's pasture is all of the there's the College of Education and the College of Agriculture and the College of Engineering and the College of Health Sciences and Biology and Geology and then you have, have the classroom building and and you think of all of the minds that are working in those buildings every day at the br- most brilliant minds probably in the state of Wyoming. They're, they're, they're trying to cure diseases and they're trying to come up with new technologies, all of this great stuff, but it is incomparable. As great as they might think they are to the knowledge and the wisdom of our God. We can't teach Him a blamed thing. Nothing. No one on this planet could educate God in anything. He's above all in wisdom and knowledge. So compared to nature and compared to our wisdom, God is incomparable in His power over us. Surely, it goes on in verse 15, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He, he weighs the islands as though they are fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. God is incomparable in his power over us compared to the might of nations. And there are some nations that think they're awful mighty. I, th- I think of ISIS right now and the power and, and, and the fear that they have put in all of the people in the Mideast right now. And, I, and, and you know what? God is looking down on them going, Man, you are nothing. You are nothing to me. The United States of America in all of her her uh, military might and all of her power and, and, and we have you know, enough weapons to probably blow up the planet a hundred times over. It compares nothing to God. Incomparable. And, and, and this is... It, 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 it's hard for me to, to connect with you. I, I'm, not hearing, I'm not hearing anybody say, oh yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I know you kind of are because I can see some smiles out there. But... but you see how difficult it is to, to, to try and comprehend how big God is? There's nothing that we could... The biggest thing we could ever stand before and, and feel as small as we could is not even close. Nations. Nations. The great trees of Lebanon. He mentions the trees. I, I kind of think in our own country or in our own nation, the, the redwood trees of California. You could build an altar using, you could build the biggest altar you could think of with the biggest trees, the redwood trees, and burn it, and it would be nothing to God. Nothing. Oh, an LED light to Him, maybe. I don't know. And, and, and think about this. Uh, you remember the story of the Tower of Babel? 
And you had all of these people, and they were one. They were one. They were all one. And, and they decided that they were going to build this huge tower, and they were going to build this tower to God. And they set their minds to it, and they began building it. And God's observing this, and He's going, you know what? Th- these people are they're doing something here. And, and you know what He said? Sorry, guys, but I'm not going to allow this to happen. So what does He do? Uh, you know, it took him hundreds of years and, and battle after battle after battle to get all of these people separated and spread all over the world, right? Oh! No. In one swift move or voice or, or what, however he did it, he confused their languages and, 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 and the, the, the tower was done. There was nothing they could accomplish. And, and here's how... Here's kind of practically how he did it. Have you, have you ever gone to a party and, and everybody's like, hey, we're going to play this game. And you're like, really? We're going to play a game? There's nothing worse than hanging out with a bunch of youth pastors. You know? Because they're like, all right, guys, we're going to break the ice here. We're going to break the ice. We're going to play this game. Really? We had this game where we would say, okay, you're a duck. You're a, you're a chicken. You're a, a dog. You're an elephant, you're a, a lion or whatever, and, and then we'd, we'd give everybody an animal and we'd say, okay, go! Now you, you have to make the noise of your animal to get into the group that you're going to be in. And, and it's total chaos, right? There's all kinds of loud animal noises going on. And eventually you finally end up with a, a herd of cows over here and a, and a, and a flock of sheep, etc., etc., etc. Well, that's exactly what God did. In, in, in the blink of an eye, you're going to speak English. You're going to speak, you know, um, Arabic. You're going to speak Spanish. You're going to, and he did that to all of the people. And, and that's exactly what it probably sounded like. Wouldn't that freak you out? That would freak me out. But not even a nation unified in one was more powerful than God. God, God said, no, I'm going to do this. And he did. When we say... When we try to say God is like... I have a theology book back there. It was written by one of the theology professors at Bethel Seminary. And one of my profs pointed this statement out. He said this. I can't believe he put this in print. When he's talking about how powerful God is, he says, God is powerful like a tractor. I think he said, but more powerful. And I'm like, well... Of course he's more powerful than a tractor, right? I mean, it's, I, I, could, I could find it for you and I could, I could show you that. Uh, it doesn't matter what sort of illustration we try to come up with to say God is like this, right? It, it falls woefully short. It's, it's so puny and insignificant and, and, and terribly inadequate to, to express anywhere the, near the real magnificence of God. And I wish there was some way that I could... Imp- impart to you that reality. And, and Isaiah, and, and God is using Isaiah to do that for us as much as he can even here. So, so let's continue to, to look at these examples. Um, God is incomparable in his power over us. He is also incomparable in his personal being toward us. To whom then? To who? What people? Will you compare God? What image will you compare Him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashion silver chains for it. And, and of course, a man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He, he looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. 
God is incomparable compared to idols. In their day, graven images. I believe in our day, things that, that we, we put our loyalty towards. You know, uh, there's a, a, like a one point, I think it's $1.2 billion new stadium in the state of California where the 49ers play. And, and there are thousands of people that worship there every Sunday during the NFL season. And, and they throw thousands of dollars towards that. And, and that is their life. That, that is their idol. That is over and above any other thing in their life. So, so we can't say that we don't have idols in our day because I believe that we do. Isaiah obviously is talking about graven ones and he, he mentions them here. He's like, how could you even compare something that was manufactured by man, covered in gold, both of which God created in the first place, and say that that's more powerful than God or we're going to worship that? And then he gets a little bit funny. And he says, well, and if you're not even rich enough to afford something like that, then you need to at least select wood that's not going to rot. You know, you're not going to come into your little worship area at home and, and it's going to be eaten by termites. It's going to be in a pile of dust. That wouldn't be good to have an idol like that. In fact, you're also going to need uh, to, to have a skilled craftsman make it so that it won't fall over because you know it would be a bad thing if you went in to worship your idol and it was laying over on the floor, right? That just wouldn't say much about your idol. And a great illustration of that, and maybe this is what Isaiah was thinking about, but there was a time when Israel was in conflict with the Philistines, and the Philistines actually took possession of the Ark of the Covenant. And they took it back to Philistia. And where did they put it? They put it in their temple, right? Where they had their idol made to their god, Dagon. I don't know what it looked like. I didn't look for pictures of it, but I'm assuming it was big maybe in, in the form of a man or something like that. And the next morning, they come into their temple, and what happened? Dagon is laying on his face before the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you know a Philistine didn't do that, and there isn't a Jew within a hundred miles. Not even idols can stand up to the power of our God. We're talking about the Ark of the Covenant. What happens with the Ark of the Covenant in the Tent of Meeting? God dwells in that place. And God gave that little idol they had, a little flick of his fingers, and it was laying face down. Eventually, eventually they throw the ark on a cart and they send it down the road and like, get that thing out of here. We don't want it to be here anymore. God is that great. He is... He's real. He is a living person. He is not a graven image or an idol. Or what about kings and princes and nations? Verse 21, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the very beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He, he brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than He blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. God is incomparable compared to princes and nobles. I know. Ty's given the old, you're running out of time signal. And it's like, this is so good. God blows on them and they cease to exist. God puts them in the place that they're supposed to be and he removes them when it's time for them to be removed. 
Why are we frightened and intimidated by these empty masks of our day, princes and nobles? Do we think that they're more real than God? Absolutely not. We need to get to reality, and that's that, that God is great. That's the reality. The, the lie and the falsehood is that, that He doesn't care for us, and He's not there for us when we need Him to be, and etc., etc., etc. That's part of the battle and why we need to put on the belt of truth. Finally, God is incomparable in His pastoral care and provision for us. Verses 25 and 26, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? And our answer has to be, well, no one. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these things? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of His great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. God is incomparable in His pastoral care and provision for us compared to all finite things. Lift your eyes to look to the heavens. You know, as I've been struggling with some things, that's what I've been failing to do. That's what I've been failing to do is to lift my eyes and, and, and look at God and recognize that He is greater than anything that I could ever experience. That, that no matter how hard this time of life seems to be, that God is at work. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't like it. It hurts, but I can trust Him. And that gives me hope. And, and I have more peace today than I had a week ago or two weeks ago. He's amazing compared to all finite things. Now, just a, a small um, astronomy lesson right here. If we had perfect eyesight and we traveled to the northern or southern hemisphere and it was perfectly dark, dark, moonless night, okay, and we set out to count the number of stars, um, we could actually get to about 9,000. We can see with our eyes about 9,000 stars. Okay? Um, if we had a good pair of binoculars, that number jumps to about 200,000 stars. Um, a small telescope capable of resolving magnitude 13 stars will let us count up to about 15 million stars. Large observatories could resolve billions of stars. There's approximately 400 billion stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way. Um, Astronomers believe there are galaxies that contain 100 trillion stars. And when it comes to the number of galaxies, the number is 170 million. Okay? Bottom line is, there's a lot of stars. Okay? Now, look, look what God says right here in verse 26. Number one, I created all of this. How powerful does that have to be? Okay, God created all of this. And then he says this, I bring them out one by one. I call each of them by name. Each one of them. God has named the stars. And it's not in 56732 probably. He probably has actual names. Maybe they're in all different languages. I don't know. But all of the billions and millions and trillions of stars, God has named them. Now, think about this, right? God knows you. God knows me. In fact, He doesn't just know your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head every second of the day. You know, you ladies, after you brush your hair and you, you lose some, He still knows. He's that great. He's that, 
that amazing? And, and, and isn't it amazing to think about this great, powerful, enormous, huge God knows you so intimately that He knows how many hairs are on your head. He cares so much for you. He does. And He's great. And even... Um, verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. God is saying, you don't need to be despondent. God is incomparable to despondent purposes. We, we can get that way. We can get non-responsive to, to where we just don't get it. And we need to be reminded, verse 27, our way is not hidden from the Lord. Our cause is not disregarded by God. In fact, Have you not heard? Do you not know? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. And He will never grow tired or weary. And, and His understanding, no one can fathom. We just don't get it. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. God is incomparable, even compared to the strength of our youth. You know, we, we talk about our kids being like the Energizer Bunny, right? They just keep going and going and going. Holy cow. And we wish we had some of their energy. They get tired too. God doesn't. God doesn't get tired. He will not grow tired and weary. He must, uh, we must remember not to put human abilities on God. He's so far above any of them. He won't get tired. We can't fathom His understanding. We just have to trust. And we put all of these things that we're talking about today on our belt of truth so that when the battle is raging, and it will, we can look to that belt and we can say, you know what? I don't care who you are, Satan. My God is greater than you. My God is greater than any nation. My, my God is greater than anyone that could wield a gun in front of me. God is great. And then he concludes this. Verse 31. And I believe this is your memory verse for the day. I hope it is. If it's not, let's memorize this one too. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We know, we know the reality is that might not be tomorrow. It wasn't for Israel. It wasn't for David. There were times of difficulty. But we can look back on their lives and we can know that as they clung to their God, He got them through those times. And their strength was renewed. So even though God is so powerful, He is pastoral. He cares. Oh, He cares for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank You for how much You you care for us. Thank you for how we see today out of Isaiah 40, how incredibly great you are. And Lord, I pray that you would help us somehow to take some of these concepts that we're thinking of and, 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 and for them to actually mean something to us. When we, we think about all of the stars, it, it's kind of difficult to grasp. But Lord, in our own lives, in our everyday lives, through difficulty and through plenty, Oh, Lord, may we put on the belt of truth so that when the lies come, 
when the spiritual battle of the prince of, prince of the air, oh Lord, that we can hold on to you and say, you know what? My God is great. And it's in him I put my trust. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close the service, the ushers are going to come.